Uh, good evening, everyone. Am I okay to go? Yeah. Right, so let me quickly pray and then I'll go with it. Okay. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. Thank you um, for a time in your presence, Lord. Uh, thank you that we are who you say we are, that we're children of God, and that uh, what you declare over us, what your Bible tells, you, uh, tells about us, Lord, is what we are, Lord. And we want to thank you for that, Lord. Just want to commit tonight to you, Lord. Father, I decrease and you increase. Amen. Okay, so, and I've been saying this every, um, every evening, but please bring your Bibles either on your smartphone or uh, in a book format, as uh, you'll find it easy to follow me when I'm preaching and when I read the Bible verses out. Download it on your smartphone. It's great when you're traveling on a bus or on the train. Uh, it's really good to read it then. Uh, so the past few weeks, I've looked at James chapter 1, James chapter 2, and James chapter 3, and this evening, I'm looking at James chapter 4. So someone's got uh, the reading, the first reading, which is... James chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. Okay, James 4, verses 1 to 10. Drawing close to God, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Do they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. You adulterers, don't you realise that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And he gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done, let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter, and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up in honour. Right, thanks for that reading, just got to get this set up, and I'll be... Ready to go? Um, okay, so um, so someone called Matthew Henry has written a commentary on the Bible. Now, Matthew Henry lived in 1600, and when Matthew Henry was three years old, it is said that he could read the Bible distinctly, okay, and he showed uh, early signs of a passion for books. His mum was so worried that he spent all his time in the closet that she used to drag him out of the closet and send him off to the fields to play. Uh, but he had a real hunger for the Bible and a real hunger for books at a very young age. So anyway, you remember I said, you remember I said uh, that a letter of James was written to Jewish Christians. Matthew Henry states these Jewish Christians pretended they had a true zeal, okay, for their country and for the honour of God. And, uh, and that's why those Jewish Christians had so many quarrels and so many fights. And Matthew Henry says, the Apostle James saw through this, and in this particular text that we're reading, he reproves the Jewish Christians for their wars and their quarrels, saying it is their lust that is really causing all these quarrels and fights. And we can see this is true when we read the Bible passage. 
What is causing these quarrels and fights among you? James says. Don't they come from the evil desires that war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war and take it away from them. You know, jealousy can be a really evil thing at times. It can really get inside us and eat us up and cause us to do things and scheme and, and do things which are not right. You don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. Okay, so these, and you can see there from that slide that um, typically in our, in our churches and amongst Christians, we can also call and fight because we want things and we don't get them. Even though we're Christians, we can call and we can fight in our churches. Um, so, and in our families and wherever. So the first series of questions, and I want you to think about, because I'll be discussing groups at the end, is when do you last get into a quarrel and fight? And could you have avoided it? And following James's teaching, what will you do next time? And I'll come to that a bit later what, uh, about James's advice. But when did you last get into a quarrel and fight? Could you have avoided it? Following James's teaching, what will you do next time? So, uh, uh, our Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, keep on asking and you'll receive. What you ask for, so let me start again. Keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. Everyone who seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. So instead of arguing, instead of scheming, instead of plotting, instead of saying, you've done this, you've done that, what we should be doing is spending time with God and saying, Lord, this is not right, this is wrong, so-and-so said that. And we should keep on asking, and, we should, and, God, and God will give it to us. As we keep on seeking, as we spend time in that quiet place with God, or noisy place with God, and ask him for those things that really bother us, uh, and pray about those situations which are really troubling us, you know, God will answer our prayers. We don't have to be jealous. We don't have to scheme and call. We can come to the Lord and see him answer our prayers. And here's some Bible promises for those who take time to seek God out, who take time to spend time asking God for the things that really bother, him, bother them. Search for God with all your heart and soul, and you'll find him. Deuteronomy 4.29 if my people who are called by, na by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will restore their land. I love those who love me and those who diligently seek me will find me. Proverbs 8:17. And so, I tell you, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Luke 11, 9. So, instead of persistently arguing and calling and getting into fights, we should persistently seek God and say, God, please answer my prayer. This is the situation. And God will answer it. He'll give you peace. Uh, if you can't rectify, he'll give you peace and wisdom on knowing how to deal with it. But the key thing is to really seek the Lord. So, uh, 
As you go on, the Bible passage says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. And there you see that God is saying that we should be faithful to God, we should have a passion for him and to do what is right. So that poses a question, what is friendship with the world? What is friendship with the world? So, breaking it down. Friendship with the world looks like taking rather than giving, okay? Friendship with the world looks like taking rather than giving. Christians are to be givers to the world, not takers. We can listen to and counsel those people in our lives who don't know Christ. We can spend time with them, enjoy their company, and include them in certain parts of our life, all under the canopy of love. But when we receive into ourselves the ways and the counsel of the unsaved, opening our hearts to their influence upon us, that's when we begin to sin. And it says friendship with the world is empty against God. So I would say that Jesus felt comfortable mixing with non-Christians. Jesus ate and drank with sinners, okay? I do not think Jesus would have drunk alcohol or smoked or listened to dirty jokes, not wishing to bring any condemnation to anyone here. I'm just describing how I think Jesus would have behaved today. But I think Jesus would have cracked jokes that were funny. He would know how to laugh at other people's jokes. Non-Christians would have seen Jesus as someone who they could relate to socially, but they also knew Jesus' values were different to their values. The Pharisees and Sadducees accused Jesus, okay, of being unholy because he would eat and drink with sinners. We know that Jesus is holy and that non-Christians who mixed with Jesus would have sensed that holiness in Jesus. I hope that sort of helps to uh, illustrate a difference. Next, friendship with the world looks like opening your heart, not guarding your heart. What does friendship with the world look like? Notice the requirement for friendship in Jesus' statement in John, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I've made known to you. Jesus' relationship with disciples only moved into friendship once Jesus began to open himself up to his disciples. Jesus served, helped, counseled, and explained the truth, but that's not friendship. That's ministry. When Jesus began to receive and open himself up to the twelve by letting them know his business, that's when Jesus called them friends. And lastly, friendship with the world looks like becoming a part of the world. Jesus was surely the most friendly person to sinners who has ever walked the earth. But Jesus would not consider any sinner his true friend until that person's sin was paid in full through faith in his gospel. We must serve counsel and love the lost, but we must also protect our own hearts, guarding ourselves from entering into a friendship where we will be shaped by those who do not seek to honour Christ. So what does friendship with the world look like? It looks like a life opposite of Jesus' life. Jesus loved and served and even died for sinners, but no one can come into a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ until they are forsaken, until they are forsaken worldliness for holiness in him. May we, like Christ, love the world without becoming a part of it. So I hope that illustrates that. So our next series of questions
based on that is, discuss the difference between having non-Christian friends and friendship with the world. And why did Jesus socialize with sinners? And should you keep your non-Christian friends? So I repeat those questions. Discuss the difference between having non-Christian friends and friendship with the world. Why did Jesus socialize with sinners? Should you keep your non-Christian friends? So as we go on into, into the passage, we read that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves before God, the passage says. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honour, is what verse 10 says. Here's some Bible promises for those who humble, humble themselves. And I must admit, I need to apply this to myself. Though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble, but he keeps his distance from the proud. Psalm 138, verse 6. My hands have made both heaven and earth and have everything in them and everything in them are mine. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will bless those who have humble and contrite hearts, who tremble at my word. Isaiah 6, verse 2. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Luke 14, verse 11. You who are younger must accept the authority of the elders, and all of, and all of you dress yourselves in humility as you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And that's from 1 Peter 5, verse 5. So, so the, the Bible, we continue to read on. The Bible, the Bible passage says, says, Humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Come close to God, and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honour. And we can see there's so much reference to humbling ourselves, humbling ourselves in prayer, you know, eating our pride. Uh, we need to submit to God by humbling ourselves, by coming close to God, by washing our hands, by purifying our hearts. By being, by being completely loyal to what God wants us to do. We then need to resist the devil with this attitude. There needs to be tears for what we've done wrong, not literally for some of us, but there needs to be sadness for what we've done wrong. And once we submit to God and resist the devil, the devil will then flee from us and God will lift us up with honour. Someone's got James chapter 4, verses 11 to 12. Warning against judging others. Don't speak evil against each other. Dear brothers and sisters, if you criticise and judge each other, then you are criticising and judging God's law. But your job is to obey the law, not to judge whether it applies to you. God alone, who gave the law, is the judge. He alone has the power to save or to destroy. So what right do you have to judge your neighbour? Um. He says, do not speak evil against each other. When we criticise and judge each other, then we are criticising and judging God's law, is what the Bible says. We need to obey the Bible, not judge. Uh, if the Bible passes... So let me repeat that. We need to obey the Bible and not judge if the Bible applies to someone else. James says, God alone who gave the Bible has a power to judge. So James says, 
What right do we have to judge our neighbor? I must admit, I often fall into this trap. Where I, I, and God often speaks to me and says to me, Mushi, you need to sort your life out first instead of judging other Christians. And I often come to say, well, yeah, Lord, I come in prayer and say, I need to really look at my, the spot I need to fall on my life. And there's stuff in my life I need to sort out before I even think about judging other Christians. So this is something I really need to apply to my life. So when we point the finger, there are three fingers pointing back at us. And you can probably see, when we point the finger, there's those three fingers pointing back at us. And that's the illustration. You know, and I'm sure you've heard that phrase. You know. Too often we want to point out the sin of others and ignore our own sin. We often don't want to admit we sin or do wrong, just like the Pharisees and Sadducees. We too often can tell our other people what to do and not do it ourselves. And for those of you who don't know the Bible that well, the Pharisees and Sadducees were the religious establishment. You know, there are people who are meant to be religious and interpret the Bible or the Old Testament law, but they were so far from God, it was unbelievable. They were so corrupt, it was unbelievable, you know? Um, and they were judging other people, but they themselves, their lives were in complete disarray. Uh, so, yeah, the old saying, practice what you preach, applies in this section of James, you know. James would have seen these Pharisees and Sadducees that they, they were claimed to be religious and, and pious, but they weren't practicing what they were preaching. Before we can help other people, we must first deal with our own sin. Give that sin to God. Ask God for forgiveness and then change our direction. So before you point out the sin of others, just remember when you point your finger, you'll have three fingers that are pointing back to you. So James is really driving home the point about, you know, with calling, with fighting, and with judging. So very often, we're the problem. So very often, our lives are not right. So very often, we need to take time and spend time with God and repent from our sin and say, God, come in and sort me out before we can begin to judge other people. And then we'll have a different perspective on what other people are doing. Do not judge others and do not judge others and you will not be judged. For you'll be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is a standard by which you will be judged. And why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Hypocrite. First, get rid of the log in your own eye, then you'll see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. And that comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 to 5, where God is saying, look, all you people are judging each other, and some of you are trying to pick up a speck in other people's eyes, and you've got a massive log in your own eye, and you can't even see properly. Um, so the next series of questions is, do you often judge other people when your own life is not quite right? When do you think is the right time to judge other people? So I'll read that again. Do you often judge other people when your life is not quite right? When do you think is the right time to judge other people? Someone's got uh, James chapter 4, verses 13 to 17. Warning above self-confidence. Look here, you who say, Today or tomorrow we are going to a certain town and will stay there a year. 
we will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, then it's gone. What you ought to say is, if the Lord wants us to, we will live and do this or that. Otherwise, you're boasting about your own pretentious plans, and all such boasting is evil. Remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. Okay, so um, so on to our last slide. So this passage is one about self-confidence. Our lives are but like, are but like a vapour that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Let's face it, life is fragile. We do not know what will happen tomorrow. Now, there's nothing wrong about going into business and making money. Those aspirations and desires may be God-given, okay? But let's avoid being arrogant and boasting about our plans uh, and ambitions. It's important to pray and commit our aspirations and our dreams and our plans to God and ask God to direct what paths our lives should take. So that's my last uh, series of questions, which is... Um, yeah, that's it. So if we turn to the last slide, if we go into our discussion groups, I'll repeat those questions again. Uh, when did you last get a, into a quarrel and fight? Could you have avoided it? Following James's teaching, what will you do next time? And then the second series of questions, discuss the difference between having non-Christian friends and friendship with the world. Why did Jesus socialize with sinners? Should you keep your non-Christian friends? And the last series of questions, do you often judge other people when your own life is not quite right? When do you, when do you think is the right time to judge other people? Thank you.